Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the news of the day broke a couple minutes after our show ended. The dreaded 10.02 email. Uh, BYU's got a game with Troy. Not the most high-profile game, but it's a game. Any other options are limited here because... The Pac-12 and the Big Ten aren't playing. The SEC isn't going to play non-conference games. Uh, The Big 12 and the ACC will play one non-conference game per school. But the Big 12's almost completely booked out now, I think. And we'll see if they can get some out of the ACC. If not, the America Athletic Conference, uh, that's Houston and Navy, right? The opener with Navy. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, Troy, that may be the best they can get. But... Better some game than none, I guess. All right, uh, right now, time to listen to BYU's offensive coordinator, Aaron Roderick. A lot of questions about the offense and uh, what it's going to look like, uh, assuming that game in Navy goes on uh, Labor Day night. Here's Aaron Roderick. Hey, Coach, we, we talked to Zach Wilson on Monday, and he talked about the time he spent with John Beck and how he's been learning to kind of throw with his entire body. And I was just curious, from your perspective, where have you seen the biggest improvements in Zach Wilson's play thus far in camp? Um, he's improved in every area, really. He's a um, pretty impressive what he's done with his off season. You know, it, it's the first real off season he's had in three years, and um, it's total total transformation of his body. He looks he looks really good. He's big and strong, and um, he's just such a hard worker. He's worked hard at every part of the game, and so he's throwing the ball really well. He looks really fit and strong, and he's making great decisions. You can tell he's really taking to heart uh, some of the mistakes he's made in the past as well as, uh, you know, we're trying to build on the things we already do well in this program. And we had a pretty good season throwing the ball last year, and we're trying to trying to build on those things and and uh, eliminate some of the mistakes we made. Aaron, good to see you. What's up? I wanted to ask, uh, I wanted to ask about uh, the, you know, the, the, the changes that have been made um, as far as postponement, both the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 um, referenced um, the fact that they don't know very much about the long-term health implications of COVID, particularly the um, myocarditis and the possible heart issues for athletes that, that they referenced. I just wondered what your perspective of, is on that and kind of how that impacts your view of of the right direction for football right now. You know, I, I'm the. I don't know anything about that specifically. Um, all, everyone in this building has great respect for the virus, and we're all uh, operating under the guidelines that we've been given. Everyone's trying their best to follow the rules around here. I mean, everyone's masked up everywhere, basically on the field, off the field. Um, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can to follow the guidelines we've been given. And uh, at the same time, we feel really fortunate that we get to be out there practicing. You know, there's we got six practices in spring where a lot of teams got zero. We're already eight practices into it now. And I think it's just we're just having it's a blessing to be out there. If you have to wear a mask and and uh, it's no big deal. I mean, it's just fun to be playing football. There's a lot of teams that have not practiced since last season. I mean, there's there's. I don't know exactly what that number is, but it's a good number of teams that finished last season, didn't get any practices in spring, and still haven't started. And so we're just taking it one day at a time, enjoying, enjoying the moment. We're not even really thinking about what's ahead, just other than just enjoying each practice and trying to be, become a better team for whenever we do play. Let's go Jay, Mitch, then Caleb. 
Aaron, I wonder if you could just kind of set the scene for us at practice since we're not there. I mean, with all this uncertainty and other schools not being able to play, just what's the atmosphere like? And what are the, what are the guys' attitudes? Uh, well, it, to be honest with you, it's a little weird. I mean, it's weird to be coaching with a mask over your face and you know, everybody out there is masked up. Players are masked up. It's 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 interesting, um, but you know, I like I just alluded to a second ago. I think everybody's just having so much fun being out there. You know, the game's kind of, uh, you know, you, you realize right now how precious the opportunities are to play, and so we are just having fun out there. You know, it's fall camp, but it's not drudgery at all. We're we're competing. We're having fun, getting better. We're all, like I said, following the rules about how we've been uh, instructed to behave, and we're trying to do the best we can to keep everybody safe and healthy. But at the same time, we are having fun out there practicing. This is the most lively and enjoyable fall camp I've ever been a part of so far. I mean, it's it's been competitive, it's been fun, just a lot of enthusiasm, and I think I think we have mature enough players to realize how fortunate we are. Every one of these guys on this team has friends in other programs that have either had their season canceled or their season's still in question and they haven't even been able to practice yet. And so every rep of every practice is precious and we're we're making the most of it. Coach, when you, when you talk about trying to get better uh, as, a, as a team and a program, I mean, how, how are you uh, trying to get the, the quarterbacks better in terms of divvying up the reps? How does that get handled in a given practice each day? Um, so far, it's been equal reps with... Zach, Jaron, and Baylor, uh, exactly equal so far through, I can't remember if today was eight or nine, eighth or ninth practice. Um, and then I've been mixing Soljay in there where I can. He's, he's gotten some reps every day as well. He's really exciting young player when he goes in. Uh, we keep joking that something exciting is going to happen. He, he, might, he might do the wrong thing and still make a great play. He's just, he's just uh, he's pretty fun to watch. Um, that won't last forever. As we, as we get closer to a game, we will start, you know, we'll whittle those reps down and get, get whoever's going to be the starter ready, ready to play. Um, but right now it's, you know, game is far enough away that I feel like there, and there's enough red, the practices are pretty long right now. We're getting a lot of work. So there's enough there for all those guys to get some. Coach, uh, you just mentioned Soljay and uh, Kalani and Coach Grimes also mentioned that he was having a good week last week. What was it that kind of um, made him an attractive option for you guys when you were recruiting him and scouting him? And how has that kind of uh, unfolded and come like manifest itself as he's been in practices with you guys? Oh, he's just a playmaker. He's a, I mean, he's he's kind of wild out there. He doesn't know what he's doing yet all the time, but he's super athletic. Um, got a lot of confidence in himself, and like I said, he'll he'll he will uh, do some instinctive things that ju- that just uh, you know are hard to coach. He he has a great feel for when to make a back shoulder throw, you know, and that's one of those things you you can talk and talk and talk about it, and some guys just know when to do it, and he's he's one of those guys. Um, he also has uh, he's really good with the ball in his hands. He's deceptive in his ball handling in the run game. He's slippery as a runner and a scrambling and that kind of thing. Um, he's very unpolished. <laughs> he's got a long way to go, but um, I'm excited about his future. Go ahead, Norma. 
um, with all this uncertainty, uncertainty sorry, um, in your opinion, what would it take for BYU to sort of take a step back and consider canceling the seasons here? Um, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not involved in that decision. That's not my – I don't really have any say in that. I just – I'm a coach, and if I'm told to go to work and – then I go to work and coach these guys, and I'll whatever they tell me to do, I'll do it the way I'm told. I'm, we, I wear a mask the whole day in the building. I took it off for this meeting right here because there's nobody within 15 feet of me. And um, you know, but in the building, I'm masked up. I'm following whatever rules I'm supposed to follow. I'm masked up on the field. And if they uh, if they instruct us otherwise, then that's what we'll do. But right now. Right now we're going, and it's. I, I feel actually really good about the way the way we're operating here. I think everyone is. You know, we've got a mature team, and everyone's taking great care to do what they're supposed to do. Let's go, Jared, Mitch, and Matt. Aaron, I know the red zone obviously has been a big emphasis. Talk about the um, passing attack and kind of how how you guys have addressed the you know the passing side of it when being in the red zone because that's obviously an area that you wanted to improve on going into the season. Yeah, yeah, we had such a good year two years ago. Um, it's funny, two years ago we we uh, you know we struggled a little bit in the first year just to just to get down there enough times but we did a great job when we did get down there we did a great job getting touchdowns and then last year you know we're like top 10 or 15 in the country and getting down there and this not doing a good enough job of getting touchdowns and so um you know i don't really want to tell you what we what we're doing but it's been a huge emphasis this offseason is to be a better red zone offense we started practicing red zone first practice, and we've practiced it every single practice so far, which in my career I've never practiced red zone nine straight, the first nine days of fall camp. That's the first time I've ever experienced that, but we've done it every single day, and um, we're going to be a lot better. I'm, I'm certain of it. Coach, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about uh, how your program, the BYU's been, at, have been fortunate to have a lot of practices compared to most uh, yeah. around the country. What, even if the season doesn't get played, like what advantages come from just getting these practices in uh, for a program? Because, I mean, every single day we just don't know what's going to happen with, with the season. But if there's there's no season, what, what value are these practices going forward for the long term of the program? Well, the practices are huge. I mean, I don't know if people really understand how important practice is. I mean, that's how you get better. You know, and the NCAA allows you 15 practices in spring ball. That's it, 15. And in fall camp, you get 29 practices before your first game, okay? Once the season starts, you basically practice three times a week. So that's about somewhere 36 to 40-something practices. So really, in most football seasons, you're more than halfway done with your practice season before you even play your first game. And then once that game starts, those practices are so limited. Uh, as a coach, you start to gain appreciation for how critical every single practice is, how, how critical every rep is, and then you try to pass that importance on to your players. Like, hey, this certain play in our offense is going to get X number of reps because you, you, you do the math. You've got this many practices and this many plays in our offense, and there's X amount of plays per practice. You start doing the math, you, you realize each one, of those, each one of those practice reps is super critical. And... And then you divide that, those reps up between players, you're talking about now they're even more critical. And so the more we can 
pass that importance on to our players, I think the better that they, uh, the more urgency they have at practice. And um, so far in this camp, there's been an incredible sense of urgency. Uh, and I think more than anything, just like a, a sense of gratitude that we get to be out there playing. And it's been really fun. <laughs> Outside of the quarterbacks, who are some of the guys they're distributing the ball to that have stuck out to you so far through fall camp? Well, the easy answer is Bushman. Um, you know, I think um, he's always been a good player, but he might be also, he, you know, he's one of our best players, but he might also be our most improved player so far in camp. I mean, he's he's um, had a, a really good offseason. He looks big and strong. Um, he's improved in his route running and his he's learning how to release better when people press him at the line of scrimmage. He's a better blocker than he's ever been. And um, we're gonna, we're using him in a lot more ways than we have in the past, um, which I'm not afraid to say that. I, I think that he's, it's going to be really unpredictable for teams to figure out where he's going to be lined up. And uh, we're using him in various personnel groups. And so that's that's been... That's an easy answer, but I think also, uh, you know, there's been a great improvement in all of our veteran players, our veteran skill guys, uh, and our offensive linemen. I mean, it's been, you're going to see, I think, just like I said, practices matter. And we've had a chance to play together for three years now. Most of these guys have been starting and playing together for, th- this will be their third year together. And now these practices we got in spring and fall camp, you're seeing daily growth in each of them. And I'm really excited to see what we do when we get a chance to play a game. Okay, we're going to go for our last few questions here. We'll go Greg, Norma, Jared. Aaron, um, what of this current situation has been maybe the biggest challenge the way you see it? And is there anything about it that might result in some kind of long-term benefit for the program, the guys that are going through it? Well, yeah, the biggest challenge, I think, for all of us, and I, th- I think this isn't just for athletes, through this whole thing is you just sort of, our whole, everyone's worlds have been kind of turned upside down, right? And we've all gone gone through these days where you're like, you know, the days where I couldn't go to work, where I was just told to stay home. It's like, okay, well, what, what do I do? Like, it was a whole new, how do I, how do I do my job? How do I, what's my purpose today? What do I, you know, and I think these athletes went through that as well for a while. Um, now we're the world's a little bit more normal now that we're seeing each other every day, working out, practicing. And um, I think the biggest challenge right now is not um, getting distracted with how the whole national scene changes every two hours. You know, it's like, you you know, you one minute you think you're playing, the next minute the whole world's coming to an end and we're not playing. So we're, right now we're not too focused on that. We're just trying to be the best team we can be. We know we're going to play football at some point. It might be in four weeks from now. It might be who knows when. But when that time comes, we're going to be ready to play because we're taking advantage of every practice we get right now. And we're really just competing. Uh, we're just trying to hold ourselves to a high standard as a team. And I'm seeing a lot of great leadership right now with that. And so I think that's the benefit of it, Greg, is that we're, we're, um, we're growing from this and just trying to establish a certain standard of play and um, and then when the time comes that we get to play, we're going to be a better team than we've been in the past. Thanks. How does it feel um, to sort of see, and I understand like you don't want to be distracted with all the news, but BYU is now the last remaining Utah 
college football team? And how does it feel to just sort of be alone in your quest for this fall season? I haven't even thought about that. I just, you know, I'm, I've got, I just got done with practice uh, and just got off the field right before this started. And I'm going to um, go watch the film in a little while and, and uh, figure out how we can get better. And I'm not really thinking about any other teams or what's going on anywhere else. And uh, just not doesn't matter to me. I'm just getting our trying to get our team better and and uh, take care of these players in this program and just follow whatever whatever rules and policies we have. Aaron, I know you're very focused on fall camp, of course, as we've been talking about. But I also know you've got a lot of friendships at other programs conversations there what are those like if either text or phone or I don't even know if you take time to talk to those guys I just wondered what it's like uh, conversing with your peers outside the program as you know when if and when you do that um I haven't talked to anybody since we started fall camp and I, I do stay in touch with a lot of you know friends in other programs around the country um, but usually once the season starts that contact is minimal just get too busy and focused on what we're doing here and um you know i got this is year three and i'm expecting us to be a lot better and taking this got a job to do so i'm not really uh too concerned with what's going on anywhere else there's BYU's offensive coordinator aaron roderick we're taking a break and when we come back the best of the jazz post game show stay with us Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Well, the Jazz in the bubble with a victory. They get the win, uh, didn't play the starters a lot. Well, didn't play some of them at all, and then played others, you know, in just a few minutes here and there. I thought the starters would get about 15 minutes, um, but most of them didn't even get that. Uh, Jazz get the win, and now they get ready for a playoff opener Monday morning. How often do you hear that? Monday morning against the Denver Nuggets. All right. Uh, let's listen in now to the best of the Jazz postgame show. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. The Jazz win the final game of their regular season over the Spurs 118-112. to 112. On to the playoffs now where the Denver Nuggets await in a 3-6 matchup. Let's let you hear some postgame sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Ben uh, Anderson, KSLSports.com. Quinn, you've seen this Spurs run now over the last 22 years inside the organization and out. You talked to Greg Popovich after the game. What, what was that like, and what's it like being a part of this? Well, I mean, I, you can't say enough about the Spurs. Obviously, you know, Coach Pop, it, I couldn't fill up the, the time or the question. Um, they've been the premier franchise in the NBA for a long time. Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Quinn, you've, um, you've had some time on the coaching staff with Paul Millsap underneath you. And I'm wondering kind of what your memories are of him and what you know of him as a player and a competitor. Well, just have the utmost respect for Paul. 
the way he approaches the game. Uh, I think his his preparation, you know, is at the highest level, and that's why he's been as good as he's been for as long as he's been. Uh, you know, defensively, no one's got better hands. Uh, offensively, he can score any number of ways. He can post you up. He can stretch the floor and shoot. He can drive the ball. So. He's a special player, and uh, I was fortunate to have a chance to be around him even for a short period of time. It looks like our last question will be from Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Coach, now that uh, now that you've made it through these sitting games and, and everyone other than maybe Ed seems pretty healthy and uh, you've, you've had a chance to kind of evaluate the younger guys a bit, where does your focus turn to going forward immediately now with, uh, with, with Denver coming up on Monday? Well, I think just that, you know, you're focused now. The the regular season, it's it's been strange to think that there's a regular season that's over, but that's where we are. And, um, you know, looking, you're looking forward. And in our case, getting prepared to play Denver and uh, trying to do some of the same things that, that we've been doing that we think, um, you know, help us be successful. And then obviously, you know, trying to, to prepare for Denver and their they're a terrific team. You know, they've shown that all year long. Uh, they're well coached. Um, their players know how to play together. Um, they've got some special players. And uh, we've got a work cut out for us, but we'll try to get prepared and get ready. All right, thanks for your time, Coach. Okay, you bet. There's Coach Quinn Snyder after his team beat the Spurs. Now moving into the playoffs where they will face the Denver Nuggets. Donovan Mitchell at 11 points in just 11 minutes. Red hot shooting the ball 3 of 5, 3 of 4 from 3. Also had 4 boards and 3 assists and had this to say after the game. All right, we'll start with a question from uh, Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. John, well, a long time since we got to see the water bottle. <laughs> and celebration and very much well-deserved for Rajon and the young guys. What did you see from them in particular? Just how good was it for them to close out the game? Um, I think the biggest thing we saw from them um, was just they played hard. That's one thing they do. They play hard. They're constantly, you know, raising their level and they're figuring things out. You know, I was in there with them for a little bit trying to just, you know, teach them little things. And they've done a great job of listening to us, the coaches, picking it up on the offensive and on the defensive end. And I'm uh, really proud of all. Next, we'll go Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Donovan, I was wondering... When you when you look back at that night in Denver and Jordan uh, scored 37 points in that game and it kind of felt like nobody really had it going, what can you take away from those experiences, the two games that you played against them before you got to the bubble that maybe you can build on? Um, I think, you know, two tough losses. Um, I didn't have a great game there. Uh, excuse me, sorry. This mask is tight today. Um, I didn't have a great game there. Um, I think they did a great job taking, you know, I think Jokic had a, a good game in Utah and so did Jamal. Um, the biggest thing we can take away from those games is how we can turn up the pressure on the defensive end. Um, just trying to find ways to, you know, to make it tougher on them. Uh, they do a good job of making it tough on us. And I think if we can kind of come in, you know, with the right mindset as far as going in there, attacking, finding, making the extra pass and, you know, defending, um, Jokic and, and Jamal have a great two-man game, but they also have a great supporting cast. We just got to be ready for all the possibilities. But you know, we're going to need a lot of scoring. Obviously, with Boyan being out, but I think we'll do. I think we'll be all right. Tony Jones, the Athletic. Donovan, are you guys? You know, at a point, you, Rudy, uh, Mike, a lot of the starters, at a point where, you know, you feel 
okay, we're going to have to play extended minutes. We're going to have to put in some 38, 39, 40 minute games. And, and are you, are you cool with that? Uh, we have one, we have no choice. And I think we all are cool with it. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's what we're supposed to do. It's our jobs. Um, Boyan being out obviously is is a big blow, but I think we have the personnel to get out there and continue to do what we do. Um, like I said, it's not going to be easy. They're a very talented team, but we just got to go out there and just play the right way and make it easy on ourselves, and everything will kind of fall into line. Anderson, KSLSports.com. Donovan, what did it mean to come out and have a good first quarter in your last warm-up before you get to play Denver? Um, I think the biggest thing for me is just trying to find my rhythm again. Um taking shots that I'd be able to take, you know, that I know I'm going to be there, um, being able to just be confident in them, and also just making the right reads. I, I didn't kind of look at it as, like, the last rehearsal or whatever, but just kind of going out there and just making the right plays. Um, obviously, Mike being out – I'm sorry, this mic is – this mask is killing me. Here we go. Um, yeah, I'm so there we go. All right. Um, the biggest thing for me, I think, is just trying to just continue to make the right reads, you know, whether it's a shot, it's a pass, just trying to make sure to make it easy on myself, make it easier on my teammates. I think I did a solid job with that tonight. There are some uh, possessions that on the defensive end I definitely can improve on. You know, I kind of got Tony his second foul by trying to jump the pass, and he let Tony get in the foul. Um, I got to hit a box out on the free throw line, you know, which led to Ed kind of getting hit. Like if I'm there on the box out, those are the little things that are going to win you ball games come playoff time. And I got to be for myself first. And I feel like I got to be uh, at that level. And I think I did an okay job of that tonight. And I think I could do even better. But, you know, it's kind of good to see the ball go in after being out last game. But, you know, it's time to lock back in. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Donovan, in, in those last two matchups against Denver, you know, I think you struggled against Torrey Craig there. Struggled maybe at the, at the beginning of this last game last week and then kind of figured things, some things out. Are there lessons that you learned from that experience and kind of where you can get your shots against this team? Yeah, most definitely. I think they're, he's, he's, a, he's a hell of a defender, um, but I think that there are things that I've, I've, I've found uh, late, but I just got to be able to make the right decisions. You know, I think obviously the shot wasn't falling, uh, early on, but I think I was making the right plays and right reads, you know, and they, they play a defense where you have to get off the ball. Um, they do a good job of that. So just being able to find areas that I can attack. Um, like I said, they do a great job making the primary ball handle get off of it and make the play. And that's what I'm just going to continue doing until I find my, my areas to, to score. Um, I said, like, like I said, I gave them credit for how they defended me, you know, these three, three or four games um, that we played this season. But like I said, I, I, it's my job to find the, the holes and, and, the, and the weaknesses. And um, I'm going to look back on the film and continue to do that. We'll go Dana Green, uh, ABC4. Hey, Donovan, um, this is your third year in the playoffs now. Uh, obviously, this is completely different environment, different circumstances. How do you think the intensity is going to change uh, in the bubble once the playoffs start on Monday? I think you'll see a, a different level of compete, uh, competition, for one. Um, I think the, the intensity, the certain shots guys have been getting now that won't be there, the certain um, possessions, the game will definitely continue to slow down. Because at the end of the day, all we're really missing is, well, with, these, with us with us in Denver, the only thing you're really missing is the fans and the altitude. So um, for us, the game's going to be played the same. I think it's going to be continuous, a lot, a lot of physicality. Um, they're obviously going to know every play you run. You know every call so for us it's about being able to maximize 
every like and kind of making full speed cuts you know being able to kind of maximize everything we do that way we can kind of get the best option out of it because if we kind of go into it not saying we loudly gag this first eight games but go into it with that intensity and their play, playoff intensity there's just two totally different intensities that i think we have to be ready to one match and be ready to set the tone ourselves all right don thanks for your time Appreciate it. Donovan Mitchell in his post-game comments after his team beat the Spurs 118-112. You could tell he knows he's got a tough assignment with Torrey Craig and the uh, Nuggets uh, coming up on Monday. Let's now let you hear from Jordan Clarkson. We'll start off with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Uh, hey, Jordan. I was wondering if you remember anything about that 37-point night hey, in Denver and maybe – what led to you being that successful or what was happening on the court that night or, and you've had pretty good games against them since you've been with the jazz. Um, I mean, just trying to win. I knew we had a situation where uh, at that time we was in a tiebreaker. So, you know, we was down by, you know, a good amount. And uh, I was trying to make something happen in the time that I was there. Uh, according, you know, that's all it was uh, just trying to get us a win. Well, Sarah, do you have a follow-up? Sure. Um, what do you think about the matchup in particular? Um, when you look across the court and you you know, think about the last time that you guys played Denver, it was that double overtime. Um, what kind of a matchup do you think that'll be for a seven-game series? Um, I mean, it's a good matchup. You know, it's the playoffs. Everybody tunes up and uh, really, um, you know, locks in. You know, every possession means something. Um, so it's going to be a good matchup for us. Uh, you know, we're going to go out there and compete, play hard, and uh, you know try to win the series. Take it one game at a time. Aaron, you got anything for Jordan? Good to go. Let him get to the bus. All right. Thanks, Jordan. Peace out. Thanks, JC. There you go. That's Jordan Clarkson finished the game with 11 points, 4 of 12 shooting, 3 of 9 from 3 in just 14 minutes as Jazz beat the Spurs 118 to 112. Up next, Monday morning showdown with the Denver Nuggets. Game one of their best of seven playoff series. Uh, Tip-off will be at 11.30. Pre-game here on the Zone Radio Network begins at 10.30. There's the best of the Jazz post-game show when we come back. Our college football insider, Riley Jensen. What does he think of spring football for the Pac-12? What does he think of the high school football season and how far is it going to go? I have to say he's a little more cynical than I am. Uh, Riley's coming up. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business, telecom, and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Time to talk football with Riley Jensen, college football insider, and he joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Riley, good morning. Good morning, fellas. What, what is there? Is there anything to talk about? Oh, there's, there's all kinds of stuff to talk about, Riley. <laughs> I know. I know. Some of it I don't want to talk about. 
What do you not want to talk about the most? I don't want to talk about the fact that just even starting with Snow College, Weber State, Utah State, University of Utah football not happening in my lifetime during a fall season. That's just it's just depressing. It's just that that's just man, that's a gut punch. I can't I can't even imagine what it's going to be like. I don't, I don't even know what to do with my Saturdays, what to look forward to. I'm using some of my own sports psychology techniques just to make it through. Well, can we now finally agree it took all this time to realize what I've already known? Thank God for BYU. (laughs) This is what I love about you, PK. I mean, your true colors show in adversity, and we all know, we've all known forever that you're a BYU homer and that you are in love with the BYU Cougs. And, and yeah, and, and then add on to the fact that you get to add an I told you so on the end of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. I bless myself happen? every time when I think of the Cougars, and more so now than ever. <laughs> do, you, do you think they're going to be able to put together a season? Because, I, I mean, I'm just looking at it going, holy cow, where, where do you go? Where, what do you do? Big 12, AAC, Conference USA. That's I know. where you go. Yeah, yeah I have to define I mean, I what a season is. But I mean, when you have when you have teams like Iowa State adding Louisiana Cajuns to their schedule when they could have BYU, it, it, may, it makes me feel a little bit less optimistic about BYU being able to put together a season. Oh yeah, of course. Who wants to add an L to your schedule? Get the Cajuns; they're barely <laughs> Ragins. You know, I've said it before on air, PK. The thing about you is you're kind of like the adversary. You're kind of like Beelzebub. You don't ever, like, <laughs> confront someone, and you don't actually, like, try and stop them from doing something or try and push them in a direct. You you just kind of push them in the small of their back in the direction they're already going, right? Like, <laughs> you just kind of you push them a little past the mark, you know? Just a little past the mark. I love the way you work. I love the way you work. The light is there. You just have to move to where you can see it. What I appreciate about you is you're doing things on and off the field correctly. And, and you, you, oh, that's nice. Well done. Right, right. right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious. We've heard a lot about, uh, you know, this is going to lead to a free-for-all in transferring. I would think if a free-for-all in transferring starts, you'd be one of the first people who would start hearing stuff and would know about it. Has the said free-for-all started? Is it too soon for it to start? Or is it not going to start? Well, I, I mean, I, I, free-for-all, I mean, we, we have to define the terms there. I, I don't know that it's a free-for-all, but I can tell you right now, I've checked around. I've actually asked all the coaches. There's at least three players from other states right now on almost every team in 5A and 6A that I can. Oh, I, I, was, talking, I was talking college. You're going to high oh. school. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. No, we'll get to high school in just a second. I got high school questions. But first, I think people wonder if, if you know, the Utes or the Aggies, whoever, whatever team they root for, if guys are going to be coming and going real quick. Is this is going to lead to the, the free-for-all in college football? I, I, I almost don't think so because I, 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 think, I think these conferences did a good job of waiting until the last second to do it because what, how, do you, how do you transfer right now unless you're just – an unbelievable stud for USC or for the University of Utah, and you're playing a position that you don't have to learn a, a ton of terminology. So I could see a couple of defensive players going, 
and they would have to be somebody that was like all Pac-12 first team, all Big Ten first team, and then they're going to transfer, and then the NCAA is going to be put in a tight spot. But here, here's the thing. Here's the thing that's scary about that right now is how do you how do you know that the season's going to happen at the next school? And if you transfer, you're kind of saying, like, I'm never coming back. Like, you're turning your back and you're going. So if you transfer from Michigan to LSU, let's say, and and then they cancel it two weeks from now, I mean – I hope that's really the decision you wanted to make is that you you really wanted to be at LSU and you really wanted to be there. But here here's where college football gets a little bit complicated to me. Look, there ain't no way spring ball is happening. Uh, I've talked to some people who know. I've talked to some people who understand that the situation. Spring ball doesn't fit. It doesn't fit into the dates. It doesn't fit for, for a lot of reasons. Spring ball is not happening not only not only because of the logistics of it, because we still don't even know what's going to happen with COVID. So spring ball is not happening. I mean, I, I I love that that we're all optimistic and we're still trying to push through it, but it's not happening. And they're going to move it to fall. And I think the NCAA is going to grant an extra year of eligibility to these kids. But I think individual schools can't afford to do it. Can, I, can you imagine? Can you imagine a school with maybe not as big a budget as Ohio State having 140 kids on scholarship next fall? Like, uh, it's not going to happen. They can't afford to do it. They're they're already hemorrhaging millions of dollars this year. I mean, the reports right now for the University of Utah are 50 to 60. I had heard privately in private conversations that the number is 67 million, whatever that number is. That's not just a number that you get to roll over into next year and go, okay, well, we're okay now, right? And it's not a number, and, and I find it really ironic that Pac-12 players, that some of the players around the country were trying to use um, this, this platform and this time right now to ask for more money and to get paid. I, don't, I, I think we're going to get a whole lesson in economics right now that is going to be really, really interesting. And to be honest with you, I think football is going to make it through. The, the thing that's going to be sad is the tennis teams, the, you know, the gymnastics teams, some of the different things that people have loved and, and have loved to have an opportunity for their kids to play, at, you know, at the University of Utah or at Weber State or Utah State, some of those are going to be gone. And coaches are going to be on furloughs for people to make it through this thing. And we're, we're going to get a real lesson on the economics of NCAA sports because here's the problem with NCAA sports. They have not been running it like a business. They've been running it like welfare. Football and basketball are the teams that bring in money. Football brings in 85% of the revenue. Basketball, last time I checked, is about 12% of the revenue, and everybody else is 3%. But what they do is they take the football money and they spread it all around. Well, no companies really run their – they they don't run their companies like that where they they make it a welfare state for all the rest of the company. They cut those parts of their business. And I I think – You'll notice that people aren't bringing up Title IX right now. People aren't bringing up some of those things right now because there's some tough questions to answer in college football that I don't know that anybody can answer. And so to to get to your original question, to transfer right now is a little bit of a big gamble, and you better be well thought out, and you better think it through before you do it. So I don't think there's going to be big hemorrhaging and people moving um, to different schools. I just I don't see it. 
Well, I'm wondering about the short-term and long-term effect that the Pac-12 will take a hit because it's already at the bottom of the Power Five, and the Pac-12 is my beloved conference, and I'm a homer for it. But I'm wondering if there's going to be a fallout as far as kids not wanting to come here. So we may not see the effect immediately, but over the next few years we see it. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, every everything should be thought of in the short term and the long term, right? The finite and the infinite game. I mean, the in, if you're playing the infinite game, I think this was a bad decision for the Pac-12. And I, and I think that if you're thinking long term, I think this ha- this puts some questions in uh, certain players. I mean, not not all of them. I mean, not, not every player is going to go, oh, well, I don't like the way they handle this. But some people are going to like, look, when I go to college, I want to be able to play college football, and I don't want to have to worry about administrations interfering with it. And I don't want to have to worry about these different things happening. And regardless of how we feel about COVID-19, there's people on both sides of the table. There's people that think it's a joke. There's people that think it's very, very serious. And I, I, don't, I don't really care how you feel about it. There's certain people that are going to feel a certain way, and I think that has an effect on people. It's, it's definitely going to affect the Pac-12 in the long term, I think. And like you said, they've already been struggling with some decisions that they've made. They've already been struggling to compete with the Power Five conferences. And, and so this is, this is, man, this is going to get way messy before it gets clean. This is, this is a mess. I never anticipated this happening with college football. I really thought with six months to prepare, there would be some sort of a plan that something would come together so they could play football because it just it means so much money to the conferences and and to the teams. Uh, I I just can't believe I I really am surprised with some of the decisions that have been made. All right, so to the high school football, uh, as you start to allude to, there are kids who've traveled for, or transferred from out of state, California, Arizona, wherever. Uh, Although Arizona now, I guess, has given football the green light. Uh, California has not. But some kids in Arizona may have taken off before it got the green light. So they're on these uh, teams across Utah. Is it the top teams that have kids coming from out of state? Or is it the point now where everybody does? Well, it's, it's at the point where almost everybody does. It, it, it always starts with the top teams. I've had... Uh, I, don't, I haven't like totally counted it, but I, I have to have between 9 and 13 people that have called me just from the state of California asking me about teams. And, of course, they start with Corner Canyon and Bingham and some of these, some of these schools. And then as they start thinking about it, as they start reaching out to these schools, some schools, there's a couple of schools out there that have said, I don't want the problems, I don't want to deal with it. And they're really, really, really good teams, so they don't really have to deal with it. And then there's other teams that are like, hey, you know, I can't reach out to them, but we're pretty, you know, weak in this position, so if you want to have them call and reach out to me. And as that's happened, I've just kind of texted around the state and talked to, to different coaches. There's there's between two and three players on, on almost every coach that I've talked to in 5A and 6A. So it's, it's a big difference. I mean, there's a kid that transferred from Hawaii by the, by the last name of uh, Sa, S-A, I mean, he's the. I went and did a camp in Hawaii in February. He's the best receiver I've seen in the United States in that age group. I mean, he's he, Devin Chisholm saw. He's he's ridiculously good. He's he's so good. And I mean, he's transferring to Orem. And then you've got, you know, there's a quarterback from um, St. John Bosco who who transferred to Skyridge, right? And and so there's. 
there's there's some difference makers that have transferred to teams here in state, and I, I think it's going to make for an interesting fall. Although I, I don't, it would not surprise me. This, and, and, and I'm not trying to be too cynical here, but it would not surprise me if UHSAA gets through their endowment weekend this weekend, and then after another week, they just like they they, they collect all their money, they make sure they got their money, and then they just cancel the season because we've already had Bingham and Weaver that have been canceled, and they they just might throw their hands up in there and go, well, we got our money for this year, so what does it matter? Let's just go ahead and shut it down. <laughs> so they don't care about the kids? Oh, uh, you know, I idealistic Patrick is very fun to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> I care about Renai and the kids. I mean, come on. It's just about the money, even at high school? Oh, I man. give up. I'm going to so, go live on a mountain somewhere. <laughs> I thought uh, before we leave the idealism behind because that was entertaining, but I thought that if the season uh, doesn't get completed, and are most of the people telling you it won't get completed because that seems to be, I mean, it's just people's premonition, expectation, so it's nothing written in stone, but it just seems to be the expectation from a lot of people that this is this high school season is not going to get finished. One reason or another. But I, but I think most people think it'll fall apart by school district, not because of anything the UHA, UHSAA says or does one way or the other. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, I'm I'm looking at very closely on that. I mean, there was a, a Lone Peak soccer player. There was one player out of 40 that got it, and they shut the whole team down for two weeks. Uh, it, and and most of the 40 players hadn't been exposed to her. I'm watching it closely, and the more I'm reading and the more that I'm seeing, like, I just don't know how you do it. I, I just don't know how you make it through a season. And, and look, you, you can shut down, you can shut down a 20, a 20 game season for soccer for, for two weekends and maybe you miss three games or something like that. But if you shut down a football team, I mean, two games is, is a fifth of the, it's 20% of the season. It's the difference between making the playoffs and not. Now, People can argue with me and say, "Well, it's just preseason right now." I'm like, "I know, but what happens when it's during the season?" And and now it's not like region really matters. You know, it has to do with like your ranking and your your strength of schedule and all that kind of stuff. So that ends up hurting teams. I just don't see how it's actually going to happen. I, I I it's funny because I am an idealistic person. I am a positive person, but when I'm looking through this, I just I'm losing a lot of faith that, that any of these things can get done because there's so much disagreement across the board, whether it's from district to district, from coach to coach, from uh, players' families to players' families. I, I mean, there's just no consensus. It's very, very difficult to navigate when there's no consensus on what to do. How about all the other sports then? I know football's a big deal, but there's plenty of other sports going on. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm I'm a little confused as to why, and 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 this is true in college too, right? Like, I thought that playing outside was a big deal. That 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 being outside, and and even though you're within, you know, a few feet of somebody, that playing outside was it's safer than playing inside. It's safer than playing inside, and I mean, look, look, I wish. I wish that I got to be as wrong as science has been on this whole deal and then be right and everybody go, yeah, follow the science and the data, right? Like, I, I wish I got to be wrong all the way along and then at the very end 
say, oh, yeah, this is the way we should do it and go, oh, okay, yeah, science, data. You know, like I, it's been very difficult for me to understand some of the things that have been put out there. Football, soccer, some of these sports seem like, man, you should be able to play those outside. It shouldn't be a big deal. And so to me, if, if football can be shut down, why, why wouldn't volleyball be shut down? Why wouldn't soccer be shut down? I mean, they're playing just as closely in certain instances in soccer and, and in volleyball. They're playing inside. I, I mean, I, I would imagine that a lot of these sports get shut down before the end of the fall. I hope not. I mean, I really hope not. I hope there's a way to salvage it and to just kind of push through it, and maybe we can be in the state of Utah a beacon and a light to the way the way that we can go forward with COVID-19 and these troubled times until we get a vaccine or until we get some medicine that can actually um, deal with the symptoms and help people out. But man, it's just, I'm, I'm just losing hope. And I just, I'm having a hard time thinking about what this fall is going to be like without the excitement of a big university of Utah game, a, a Utah state game in the fall or, you know, even even for me, like as a person who played at Snow College, like going down on a weekend to eat from Utah and watching a big game, like those were fun things for me to do and to look forward to. And I'm I'm just not seeing it, and uh, it's it's taking a little bit of my hope. It's it's sucking my will to live. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay, that was maybe a little. Fun. Well, you know, Riley, little, there's there's some dramatic. there's some truth to that uh, because uh, well, what's going to happen with the classrooms and other stuff? Because if you got a kid who needs to be socialized and isn't, you're talking about sucking the life out of them, and it has nothing to do with sports, and that's very very important. So, with each thing that's eliminated, there's going to be a fallout, an unintended consequence that is very very serious. And, I, and, and look, from, from a mental health perspective, I mean, some of the statistics that, that concern me as a mental health professional, as someone who works with the mind and with those sorts of things, are very alarming to me. And we haven't put a lot of thought into that because the COVID-19 has been a big deal. And it is a big deal. I don't, I don't mean to take away from it, but like you said, some of the unintended consequences of the, the mental health of these kids I mean, the, the suicide rates, the drug overdose rates, and some of these rates around the country are alarming. And some, I, I have high school teams around the state that are signing up for sports psychology with me because they want me to be able to help them to deal with some of the difficulties of the unknown of COVID-19 and some of the difficulties of playing during a pandemic. Um, these, these kids are nervous and this was already a nervous and anxious generation long before COVID-19 came along. And so um, there's interesting questions and interesting dilemmas out there that we need to solve uh, as, as smart people come through and come up with, with solid solutions to some of these problems. Cause it's not just COVID-19 that's causing some of the problems right now. Yeah. That was all true five or 10 years ago. This is just accelerating it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's heightened. It's yeah. like, uh, I mean, my own kids who are are eight and six years old, they they were talking to me about starting school and about what what their what their nerves are about it and what you know what they see on the TV and and we don't generally watch a lot of TV around here. We're trying to be outside playing, but there's definitely some questions that they have in their little hearts and in their little bodies that are concerning, right? And and we had a good conversation with them last night about what they need to be worried about, what they don't need to be worried about, what they need to be safe about, because 
there is some things out there that are, um, you know, are, are, are very fearful, especially for young children, especially for young children. Thanks, Riley. We appreciate it. Love talking to you guys. Thanks for having me on. There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider, with some opinions on high school football, too. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.